Hey, Broadway fans, we are back for a second week of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. This week, we're talking the film, how it differs from the musical play, and how the Broadway play maybe differs from the original and the film. We also have a special guest, so don't go too far. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Broadway Breakdown. I love this song. This is like, at the end of the show, because when I saw it, I didn't, like everyone started putting their hands up right away, and I was like, what's everyone doing? (laughs) (laughs) And then they started seeing the look of your hands, I was like, oh, I get it, we're supposed to do this. God, that's like part of the magic of the show, and that's why it's like, I love, like, I just love feeling like I'm actually at a concert where everyone's just doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this, in L.A. at least, kind of warm, windy Sunday afternoon. Yeah. SAG Awards are tonight. A lot of stuff going on in L.A. today. Uh, But we are here, like I said, talking Hedwig and the Angry Inch film version. I'm your host, Brianna Phipps. You can find me at bphipps14 on Twitter and Instagram, bphipps1214 on Snapchat. And we, of course, have the lovely Jackie. One, two, three, Jackie B on all platforms. And we have a very special guest joining us today. We have Jeffrey Fargo. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Where can they find you guys? Um, Jeffrey, you said Instagram, Yeah, I'm on Instagram if someone is interested in looking at some pretty pictures. You know, Everybody, some not, yeah, we all love some pretty not pictures. some pretty pictures sometimes. You know, <laughs> under intoxicating <laughs> circumstances. <laughs> yeah, follow me on Jeffrey. I'm Jeffrey Fargo at Instagram. Great. Um, you guys will have to excuse me today. I'm like on that tail end of a cold where like the cough just won't go away. So my voice is very. And Brianna comes to us straight raspy. from the emergency it's room. Sensual. So it's beautiful. Oh. She gets she gets props for being like the biggest the show must go on trooper <laughs> ever. Hey. We're all theater majors here, right? Well, it's I true. I don't remember a time ever being with the show couldn't go on. Even if you don't show up, someone else will take your place, right? It's dog eat, dog world in theater slash film. Slash film. Um, so, Jeffrey, I want to talk before we get into the movie a little bit about your time because you played Hedwig. I did. Um, and you said you played it at Hamburger Mary's in West Hollywood, right? Yeah, I did it for um, about four years we would do it annually there. Um, Hamburger Mary's, West Hollywood, and Long Beach. We did both of those locations. We kind of do a weekend and do you know a few shows at each of those locations over the course of a weekend. And uh, yeah, it became you know popular, so we continually did it. And it was it was a great deal of fun. Um, I was happy to do it. Happy to kind of it always something that I loved the show, and um, so having a chance to kind of put it on and and do it was. Really Stepping the fun. shoes, as it were. Yeah. Did you do drag before you did this role? No, not at all. And so, how did you like? How who did your makeup? Did you do your makeup? I had luckily, you know, coming from theater, you know, we as theater folk have all of these great resources and friends, talented friends that are willing to thank God, especially when we're young, do things for free. Yeah. <laughs> So I had I had that I had you know a great friend that was doing my makeup initially and actually her brother um, was the original band uh, he kind of led the band he had a band they were fans of the musical so it kind of worked out just having all these people come in and put put on a show it was it was that you know um, mentality of, of let's all get together and put on a show and it just happened to work out well but no um, never dragged before. No, just just an actor, not a not a drag. But I think that lent, that works for the show. Oh, it does because Absolutely. it's not a show about. You no, know, Neil Patrick Harris never did drag before. before I think it's also role. just like a fun thing to kind of step into and learn, kind of take that persona of like being like the feminine and the woman kind of thing and putting that on. I think as actors, it's always great to keep growing and do stuff that we have never done before, and like you learn yeah. stuff and like you then identify better and you have like a little more sympathy towards maybe a different gender or, or sexuality of people. Definitely. I mean, it's much, it's much more appealing as an actor to be doing something that is not familiar to me. Uh, but the number one thing that drew me to the show was, I mean, I, I was a huge fan of the film, but character wise, the character, this isn't someone that was dealing with, you know, gender issues. It wasn't a boy that was growing up that I want to be a girl. Right. 
this was a boy that so wanted to find love that he was willing to go through these steps, these things to get love. He thought the only way that he was going to find or be loved was to make this huge transition, Mm -hmm. this choice. But it wasn't, you know, someone setting out to become a woman. Yeah. And I do think part of it too, we talked about, we, because we talked specifically just about the play last week and we're going to highlight the film this week. But, um, for me, part of it too is that escaping, uh, escaping communist Germany, um, making these decisions because you're like, okay, well, not only do I want love, but they're telling me if this is my only chance to leave is to have this operation. So I agree with you. It's like it's not necessarily making a decision based on feeling that you're the other gender. It's making this decision like I am in this particular circumstance. Yeah. I think that why that's why it resonates with so many people across different. I also you know. think that once Hedwig uh, came to America and like had been living as a woman and stuff, the persona of who they were kind of worked better. Like, you know, like on stage, like wise, like when they, if they were performing a show, like as like I'm just sorry, I'm, t- I'm talking weirdly, but it's a be- like if Hedwig was actually performing a show, then his pers- his her personality would resonate better dressed as a woman. I feel than a man sometimes to people like that might have been a decision that. It's interesting you say it's it's interesting you say that because uh, John Cameron Mitchell was saying that when they went on and I'm trying to figure out I think it was Letterman yeah it was Letterman that um, he was doing uh, I I actually don't think it was Midnight Radio but it was a different song where he was going to tear off his wig at the end and the people at Letterman told him don't do that and he still did it but they cut it. And his best interpretation of that was that maybe Letterman, the audience, just wanted them to see this as a woman. They didn't want to have that whole feeling of, oh my gosh, this is a guy dressed as a woman and what kind of implications, which is the whole point of the movie. So I was, you know, it's like, why why go on Letterman if you're not going to let the people perform the way they want to perform? Yeah, that's a strange thing. Like, cause yeah. I was talking about, like, Hedwig maybe just chose to stay dressed as a woman because it was better with the persona they were portraying but like that is a whole different thing of like yeah you're you're basically <laughs> censoring the film so it was or the person's performance which it's like why do it at all you know yeah. i think coming from that type of you know well that time period even though it wasn't that long ago and that audience too i know it's david it letterman audience we're talking about 2000 kind of you know yeah, you can kind of disguise maybe what all the movie the film or the play is about by just saying well this is a pretty song yeah. You know, it's this character singing this pretty song. <laughs> then you remove the wig. And, With all of this makeup and wig yeah. and crazy outfits. Yeah, it's just singing a beautiful song. What's something you learned, like, about yourself or that you learned from doing the role? Um, I think, well, I think we all, we all relate to that. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about, you know, how it's not a story about a, a transgendered individual. It's it's a story about someone trying to find love. And I think, you know, the, the film version was what made me, I was originally aware of the story through the film first. I didn't know about the play until after the film. But I think it's interesting because I see the whole story as being that search to find that other half, you know, as they go through an origin of love and, and that whole Plato symposium being, you know, put into music. And we're all just like looking for our other half and trying to you know be whole. And it's something that is is true for most of us today. Most of us still, when you're talking to us, you know, yeah, I've got to find my, my other person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I think especially when the film came out, it was, I still remember you know, the kind of that Jerry Maguire-esque, you know, feeling of, you complete me. Yeah, it was so big around yeah. then. Yeah, I mean, we're all no, no, none of us want to walk through the world alone. Yeah. We're all kind of craving that find someone to help us through this world. But I, so much of that message, you know, we get to the end, and it's I'm I'm whole in and of myself. Yes, it's not about finding someone to complete me. It's you know, and that's great I'm relationship complete. advice. You can't be open to being with someone else unless you're okay with who you are. Yeah, so you know. Life lessons to learn through the yeah, theater all definitely. the time. It's so true, though, because I remember um, I, I said this last week that I uh, I had rented the video from my college library several times because I couldn't afford to buy a video at the time. But um, I do remember crying when watching both the um, 
the origin of love scene and then the end scene because just for those reasons it's like it's something we all can relate to wanting to find you know your other half and then again it's also something that you can relate to knowing that you have the power within yourself to to love yourself and to be strong because of that as well yeah um transitioning a little bit towards the show i want to kind of go over some of the differences between the musical and the film uh because we have these flashbacks. So instead of it being a person telling their story in their eyes, which it still is, but we're seeing flashbacks of what happened, what was going on, um, which is, you know, I don't think as a film it would have worked for just to be like the show was, to just have no. someone on a stage talking film about Film audiences will not, you know, <laughs> they're not going to pay, they're not going to pay attention. They to one person talking with a band backup for that long. No. no. Yeah, it doesn't translate as well into film. But do you think that there was, like, what do you think kind of was, like, lost in that translation, and what do you think kind of the film gained? Like, what do you think we got out of it that we couldn't get out of the play and that we get from the play that we kind of lost with the film? Do you I, feel like there's anything? Personally, I don't feel like there... I don't feel like there's anything lost because of the difference in the mediums. So I feel like... It's if you try to if you try to do the reverse, like illustrate the play, that would not have worked as a play. But if you also tried to have a person monologuing with a band backup as a movie, I don't think that would have worked either. So I think for the medium, I don't think there's anything lost in translation because you have to make that translation for the medium. And for me, again, this is now knowing that you saw the movie first too, which I saw the movie first as well. Um, not only do I love John Cameron Mitchell's performance, like, it's so... Uh, he has such a way of being relatable to, I feel like, anybody who's watching it. There's something that makes you feel for Hedwig as you're, as you're watching it. Um, but also, I think that... For me, it was fun to see, like, what he looked like as a little boy in Germany. It was fun to see what, like, Luther actually looks like. And Michael Pitt, oh my gosh... He is so gorgeous, and still to this day, even when I've seen the live play, when when uh, Hedwig's calling backstage or into like yell at him and mm-hmm. like opening and Yitzhak's opening the door so we can hear the music, I still picture Michael You're Pitt. Michael Pitt. Yes, I still <laughs> picture him because like I remember him being so gorgeous, and I was like, "Ooh, good choice, Hedwig. He's very cute," you know. <laughs> well, it's crazy because the play, or not the play, the film. Usually, like, with films like this, you wouldn't think critics would love it. Critics loved it. It bombed at the box office. It bombed at the box office. Yes. Uh, It made $3.6 million. It cost $6 million to make. So, for those of you that have money out there that know how budgeting is, that's you don't want to lose that much money on the film. But it was a hit at Sundance. It It won uh, Best Director and Audience Award. And it's become a huge cult classic, which I feel like cult classics, you know, you'll have hit movies, and they're a hit for a year, but... Like Rocky Horror Picture Show, this movie, Labyrinth, stuff like that. Oh, people do classic. shadow cast. You'll see those yeah. like 50 years from now. Yeah. And they'll still be relevant. People will still be watching them. People do shadow cast the Hedwig. It's it's true. Yeah. I think and I think it's a beautiful film. I think he did a great job of, of you know, transitioning, translating it from stage to mm-hmm. to screen. I think it's it's all there. So do you think that the reason it may have bombed at the box office just people weren't willing to go see a film about someone dressed up as a different gender or something that as controversial as having a sex change operation yeah without like a a point of reference you know you say this you know transgender rock star or wannabe rock star i don't think it speaks to a lot of people especially in 98 or you know when the film was i think or 2000 2001 2001 when the film came out it, it doesn't really speak to anyone unless it it has some reference, you know, unless it's, you know, a real life event or something that they can, they can really, you know, gravitate towards or, or relate to. And I don't think, yeah, most people were ready for that or mm-hmm. interested in it. And piggybacking on that, I think that it, I don't know how like the press, like press is always a big deal in these things, getting, getting the word out. And um, for me, I didn't know that this movie existed until it was on a DVD in my library and a friend told me about it, you know. So you have the you have people who are ready and willing to watch it and have 
literally just not heard of it. Yeah. So I, think I mean, that's... I hadn't heard of anything of it until it was on the Tony Awards with Neil Patrick Harris, and right. then I learned that there was a movie and that it had originated before then from that, right. but I had no idea. And because that. it started off off Broadway and then it went to the West End, so if you were an American who was probably open to that, you you might not have known about it. You know, unless yeah, it's through I, word of mouth. You know, similar to you, my my first experience was DVD, was the film, and that was only after a friend had told me about it, said, you, you should watch this. And I, I remember having seen it, like in a blockbuster, and just passing by. I remember thinking, that's an interesting, I can still remember that cover, like thinking, that's an interesting cover, what is that about? But never actually going to see it, and being gay and coming from theater, still not had no clue or had never heard of Hedwig as a show. It was only after the film that I, you know. And when you look at the cover, it's, I mean, the cover speaks to, obviously, the character. It's like you have this rock and roll singer shouting on the cover, but you're not necessarily knowing that that's a man in drag. Yeah, don't it's very, it, just it, like glam rock. It has yeah. a very, like, David Bowie-esque feel to the cover. Right. Like a lot of his old record albums and how he would dress. That's what I got from it which it makes sense since they referenced a lot of the music on his so yeah even as much as i love the cover art it's like it's still you wouldn't know what it was about just right. looking at it it's not either. something that goes like hmm i should go watch that that looks like an interesting it's kind of like the same with books like i choose a book sometimes based on its cover i'm like oh yeah you know what book do I, I don't know have any reference of what this book is about but that cover looks interesting i'm gonna go read it yes so I've unfortunately done that. How i have I read done twilight <laughs> the, the book covers of twilight are very cool <laughs> i will say I thought it was about Snow White, obviously, honestly, because of the mm, apple. It does right. look like that. It does look like <laughs> that. Um, and then in the film, we have much more of this stalker feel of of her going after Tommy, because we are literally following him around the country with her great agent, because I love Audrey Yeah. I love Adri- Andrea Martin so much ever since my Big Fat Greek wedding. I've been obsessed with her, and I've watched so much of her film, but so I'm glad she's in this. But well, we it's get... just weird that she, you have a Tony Award winning actress who doesn't sing. sing right. <laughs> but she uh, she's kind of hel- helping Hedwig yeah. follow Tommy because it's going to get Hedwig better press, better... Well, she's I doing guess. it, I think, to get a photo because we know that... I think that's part of it. I think they want the photo, but I also think that this story coming out of Hedwig saying that he stole the music... And having him be in the same area might get more people to go see his show. I don't know. That's what I, I thought. I got both. I think that they were trying to do kind of a both thing. And yeah. also, I think Hedwig wasn't ready to let go of Tommy at oh, all. Oh, that's for sure. Most definitely, yeah. That's for sure. Um, sometimes the stalkering, I, I could have like done it without. Like, like the scene at the mall. I was like, I, I, I didn't need that scene. The scene I like, the stalkery scene I like, is when they're at, what was it, like Mensa Fest or whatever? Oh, yeah. They're yeah. at Mensa Fest and you have the one woman, and but you can hear his band like way off in the distance. And Hedwig's just like, come, come in and sit down and I'll tell you this story. I love those. Yeah, I think the cinematography in the film is beautiful in those moments. Yes. Are gorgeous, like that, where it's just the picture is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I liked the opposite stalker, like when he came up in the limo. Yeah, she was like, "What?" That yeah. I liked that. I liked it when it was reversed and he was like almost stalking her. Right. He knows that she's there, and he also because you know it's his inner demons that he has to deal with. It's not he still has this love for her and wants to be with her, but can't because he doesn't want the world to know that he's this way. Right. So he has this inner closeted Christian thing that he's still working working so, with. Yeah, know? so I definitely think the film had me understand Tommy better than from the show version because the show version's just us hearing and so seeing kind of gives me that grip with him. Yeah, one of the things especially, you know, being introduced to the film first then wanting to do the play, one of the things in producing the play and, and trying to put it on the fear was is this going to make sense? Like if if and obviously it worked. Someone did it before. Some, you know, John Cameron Mitchell was very successful with doing it. But it it does. Even reading the script of the play, that is that is the thing is trying to make it all make sense because mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of all over the place. In in you know, it's one almost one man basically telling the story and, and almost being every other character. And when I went and saw 
you know, the tour just recently at the Pantages, I was, I went with two girlfriends that had never seen the show. And that was something that I was worried about too. It was like, they, they had no knowledge of the show at all. Were they going to understand it? Mm. Well, they have the difference because I saw the first time I saw Hedwig as a play, I saw it in like a small Baltimore, like dinner theater. So you have to work harder as an actor when you don't have all the projections and, you know, there was a car on the set of, uh, um, of the The Pantages version. And so maybe you can speak to this because Hamburger Mary's has that one small stage. So it's like, what do you do to really get the audience into your story and to make them understand the things that are going on? I think, um, See, I think that's where the show is so powerful. I was afraid when they were talking about going to Broadway that all of that would be lost. Right. And I, I, you know, this was my first time seeing this production of it with Darren Chris, and I loved it. I saw it three times here at the Pantages. <laughs> but I do think there still is that bit of intimacy that is lost in what makes the show so powerful and what makes it work. I think they did a fantastic job. It is powerful in that space. It is powerful being that big. But what I loved about doing the show and when I had seen the show done by others in the small space where it's kind of intended to be is that intimacy. There are all of these small, quiet moments where Hedwig is telling these stories and it feels real. And, um, you know, looking at footage, you know, I didn't have the privilege of seeing John Cameron Mitchell do it live, but looking at footage of him doing it initially. Yeah, there's so, there was like a taped version of him doing it on stage. Yeah. He is brilliant at telling stories, and he's just sitting there, you know, no big sets, no big lights, and knowing that stillness, you know, knowing those moments of just silence even with the audience is so powerful. There's so much in those in those stories, and there's so much hurt in that character that I think sometimes is lost in this huge production that's going yeah. right now. I think the only like saving grace for it is that we still have Hedwig talking with the audience, playing off of them going into the audience. I think that's the only thing that makes it still work as a big production. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, don't get me wrong. I love the show, and I love it in this in this way. You know, go see it if you can. But there is something special about. 50, 100 people and one actor and mm-hmm. just being completely quiet and still and and getting something. There are those moments in the play that I think are kind of lost in this one where you where you get that Hed, Hedvig is doing a joke right now, but it's not a joke. It's, it's to cover up this incredible hurt. Yeah. That's one of the things that I actually disliked a little bit about the film was him performing in all these, like, diners and stuff and having all these people around that are not paying any attention. Like, I got what they were trying to convey, but that's what I loved about the play was, like, everyone just kind of zoned in on him. Yeah. And But, but in, if you're doing it in a venue like Hamburger Mary's, that is what you have. No, I know. I get yeah. that. That is but, exactly what is going on. And it actually... But I got it, mad. I wanted the patrons in the, in the shop. Yeah. I'm like, stop eating. Like, I, listen to this person. But see, yeah. and that's the beauty of... It's like... It's like art imitating its own story because yeah. Hedwig is that person who's going into the small venues and having to perform for the people who are just not paying attention. It really, in the film, emphasizes that, you know, hurt. And, yeah. and I would do the show and there would be times when there would be, you know, a handful of people coming to see it. Or there would be times when there would be drunk people or people talking in the middle of the show. But I loved it. It lends itself to the show. It, it, you know, then you have something to ad lib about. I had two I, guys fight right in the middle of. I was just about to say with a show like Hedwig, it's that I, I think it's easier when people are interrupting you because yeah. you can call them out on it. I think there are plenty of times when people had no idea what they were walking into because I'm doing it <laughs> in a bar, um, basically. And yeah, and guys would fight, and it'd be like, oh, don't fight over me, you know. And <laughs> like, but it, it lends itself to that environment. It gives you what really should be within that theater experience like this is a real person right here right now and mm-hmm. we're experiencing this with them no you guys are making me really want to go see it in a small theater now too i want to see what the like the emotional difference that, that i would get i really uh i remember when i saw it in that dinner theater in baltimore i was in the front row and that scene where hedwig uh is talking about listening to the music in the oven um and i felt like Obviously, there are other people there, but it's that feeling that you're like, this person is telling the story right to me, mm-hmm. and this is a very, very powerful and emotional story. 
you know. And plus, a person I had I had grown up in Germany, and I've said this before, but like that, it hit me on like all these kinds of levels. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I love the current tour. I love the film. I think this story is best and most powerful uh, when it's in the most non-theatrical setting, bar, someone's backyard, whatever. When it's this character really there with you. Do you have, uh, did you have a lot of opportunities to ad-lib? Because I do know, like, you're watching the movie and they're using a lot of the ad-libs in the film that they, they do use in the um, play. Yeah, all over the place. And John, John Cameron Mitchell in the script version says, you know, to everyone producing this in the future, this is written as a template, basically. And, you know, it's, the script version is written with references to what he did initially and the place that he's in initially, the Jane Street Theater and... You know, so, yeah, I mean, you you have to make changes. You have to be where you're at, and Tommy has to be somewhere down the road. But then, in addition to that, all over the place, especially because, me, personally, my production, we were always in a bar, so there was always, like I said, something that wasn't right. <laughs> um, and also, you know, we were setting up almost immediately and then doing the show with not much prep and so technical issues happened all but again this is the perfect show for that because anything that's happening right there is fine yeah mm-hmm. um talking a little bit more about Hedwig's relationships because we do have Yitzhak who's the other person that's prominent in the play um and in the film we have Yitzhak played by um Miriam, Miriam Shore, Shore. Uh, who does a brilliant job, also has amazing facial hair. Yeah, <laughs> really. Beautiful makeup. Beautiful like, makeup. Good beautiful job. makeup all around in that film. Yes, really. Um, but Yitzhak in this one, in the film, as opposed to the play, because, you know, you don't have, you, you see the resentment, but you don't have as much playing off of each other in the film. And um, I love this whole sub story about rent. rent. I just love it. <laughs> I noticed it before, like, he, he went. He goes to try out for Angel because I just keep seeing Rent on and the shirt. And he had a Rent poster. Uh, Yitzhak has a Rent shirt on yeah, in the yeah. beginning. It's just Rent's everyone. Don't know. Like Rent came out what ninety seven or ninety eight? Ninety six, I think. Ninety six. It was around that. It area. was around that. Area. So it makes sense. Like it was a huge show, and now it's doing all these smaller. Well, it was things. a huge show for the LGBT community, and then so Headwood became this. So it makes sense to to incorporate keep, it. Keep referencing Rent. We're discussing Rent. Um, Later on, um, in February, March. Or March, February or March, it's it's coming. It's uh, going to be at the Pantages, and we're going to discuss it right that time. Um, but yeah, Yitzhak for me in this one, I just wanted a little more. I want because like you you have in the play, and you you know that his character is not supposed to, you know, it's just there for the comic relief or for the backups or for the breaks and stuff. And so for the film, I like wanted like it, he, she did a great job because I wanted to know more about this character and where he came from. Well, you guys know that, I mean, this is the beauty of theater is that when you go in to do a play, you're, you have to, if your character doesn't have everything laid out for you in the script, where Hedwig has all these things that you can draw from, Yitzhak really doesn't. So they had John Cameron Mitchell and um, uh, Stephen Trask had created this whole backstory for Mm -hmm. Yitzhak and, um, and that way, each every actor, if they at least knew that backstory or came up with their own backstory, they could use that to inform their character decisions. And I felt like without saying, without having to like explicitly say things, we understand mm-hmm. what that backstory is, even if it's not laid out. I think it would be interesting to do a flipped version of Hedwig from Yitzhak's point of view. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think um, yeah, I'd seen that John Cameron Mitchell maybe about two years ago. Uh, maybe not even that long. They've been he and Stephen Trask are, are workshopping Hedwig two, and um, it, I think initially it's it was set that they did a workshop that was you know as a as a theater piece. But I think they're toying with doing it in different mediums. But um, I think they're exploring you know more of those stories of these of these definitely more with Hedwig. But you know. I'm all for that. Well, because it's like we know they're immigrants. We, I mean, we know Hedwig's an immigrant, and then we know um, the band is full of immigrants, and that she's extorting Yitzhak, basically. And uh, that's one of my favorite parts of the play. Is uh, that when I saw when he calls off stage and says it's immigration, and Yitzhak's like, 
Sorry. Just that is a big part of like, the fact that all these people... Because Hed- Hedvig is an immigrant, but is came here semi-legally through marriage. I don't know what Yitzhak's like, story of, like, it's an illegal immigrant kind of thing. That's what I get from the play. I, I... Yeah, well, they're mm-hmm. they're supposed to be married now, mm-hmm. Yitzhak and, and yeah, Hedvig. Hedvig. So I, th- I think... Um, well, I, yeah, unless I someone ever like was like, obviously, and I think that's a part. Woman, you, you know, you were yeah, you were talking about you know why continue this this female persona, and I think it's because of of that reason too. Yeah. You know, she came over under the <laughs> the, the disguise the of, of, of woman. woman. Yeah, being married to uh, to Luther. Um, the music in the film basically all the same. Yeah. With the exception for me of Sugar Daddy, which um, I realize now is the original version, but because I only knew the new version, I had this rock version in my head, and I was like, "Why is this country?" <laughs> I was so confused for a second, and then I was like, "Oh, really? This was the original version, and then they just changed it for the new." Show. I like the original version better, but that's because I had seen that movie so many times that I like the new version, but that's. Also, right. we we always tend to go towards what we originally know. Yeah. Um, or why you originally fell in love with that. It's like, I originally fell in love with the film, so like when you make all of these, if you start making sweeping changes, then I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I like them both. I like them both. I, I kind of get the change for the new, you know, Broadway show. It just kind of fits better, yeah, I it think. Yeah, it fits with the music, and they also can do the whole big thing that they want to do with him going out into the audience. And yeah. Yeah. Doing the car wash. If it was a much more light-toned, like, you know, with all, not all the lights flashing and all this stuff, it's not as big of a spectacle. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, again, going back to that intimate space, when you're in an intimate space, it's not so shocking to have those different, you know, types of music happening, but to be presenting this huge Broadway musical and then to have this very different song... I think would kind of throw off the rhythm of Mm -hmm. what was happening. I think that's like a point in the show where they really want the audience to start like getting amped up for stuff that's about to happen and come. So I think that might've been part of the reason they went with the change. I like both versions too. Like you, I mean, I do lean a little bit towards the Broadway version, but the first time I heard it on the soundtrack before I watched the movie, I was like, what? And it was just because I was so like, what's going on? Why is it this way? And then when I watched it, when I watched the John Cameron Mitchell footage from him doing the show live, then I got, like, I understood it better, and I started liking it better. Mm-hmm. But I agree, it wouldn't have worked in the Broadway setting that they wanted to do. Um, we do have a thing on here that we call a diva song, and it's our diva song. It's what we, like, love to sing about, which I have a different one now from the film. But I would mm-hmm. like, Jeffrey, to know, what was your favorite song to perform from the show? Like, what did you look forward to the most, I guess, every um, night? I think... See, it's hard. It's crazy. This is one of the few shows that I think, musical-wise, because I'm a huge musical theater fan, but I think it's one show that... That's a difficult question because you... All the music is fantastic, and I think... um, it's, It's hard when you're performing it, too, because you're not necessarily in the mindset of all right, now it's time to sing. Let me have my moment. It's, it's very, you know, it's it's very much like this is the emotion that's happening right now. This this is where I'm at in my head right now. Um, but I don't know. I think the most powerful and most beautiful song, I think, for me is is maybe Midnight Radio is what I have to, you know. But it, I mean, it's hard. I think, you know, I love Wicked Little Town. I think Wicked Little Town and... Um, and um, and origin of love are kind of you know close okay. second third but you can have more than one that's okay all of them all of them <laughs> so we, we break through all the time we're like I'm not choosing if, yeah. if I'm singing in the shower at the top of my lungs it's probably midnight radio and so and I think it goes back to you know what I love about the show again I feel like that's that's the moment where Hedvig is having that, that revelation and and it is beautiful I. I was, you know, in tears watching. I think Darren Chris, his voice, he what did he did such a great vocally job. with that, amazing. He and and Lena Hall, um, you know, Yitzhak and and this version, it's, amazing. It's voices. always so interesting to me because I'm from San Francisco, 
um, which is where Darren Chris is from, and I have friends that went to high school. Like, I don't know him personally, but I have friends that went to high school with him, so for them, it's just so weird to have him be in this big Broadway production, and then I think one of them went to go see it, and they were just like, like, I just remember him playing in Fiddler on the Roof and at uh, St. Ignatius, and now he's, like, stripping down on this big, huge stage. I, I mean, that was... I thought that was his shining moment. It was. That was his shining moment. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's did, such a beautiful moment He did moment such a show. great job with the whole show. Um, as, as well as Lena Hall. Lena Hall coming out at the end, like, I was just blown away by her. And that, that whole thing of, you know, Hedwig coming to that realization of, of you know, the wig needs to continue on, like, it's not mine anymore. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And realizing that everything that was awful and happening to to Hedvig is what you know he was doing to Yitzhak. to Yitzhak. Yeah. There's that everyone that. took from him, and he took from Yitzhak. Yeah, yeah, and allowing her to shine. Then, yeah, I will, it was an interesting choice with the movie to change, like because Yitzhak doesn't sing mm-hmm. the part in the movie, like at the end of the play, but to have like just this falling into the crowd and kind of crowd surfing off and yeah I, I do like I like that moment that was it was a, like, I also very love how different the... but very still like prominent moment for me yeah. I also love I know that you know the Broadway wig in a box has this like big drop down set number whatever but there's something very whimsical to me about wig in a box in the movie and I just I just love it I love um I love the little dancing Hedwig wig over the over the music, words. over the words. It almost looks like a mustache, like a handlebar mustache. Yeah. Um, also with Midnight Radio, going back to that really fast, I just love, too, because I don't know, because I was up in the balcony for ours and I forgot my glasses, but does Hedwig in the play also pull tomatoes out? Or is that just, what was, in the, or is that just for the film? In, I don't know, I don't. No, you know, see, like, I saw it three times. I think that he did. Of course, it's really, it's, like, heavily strobe, you know, yeah. at yeah. that moment. I don't remember. It. It is in the initial production that John Cameron Mitchell did off-Broadway. I always did it. Um, and it felt like, for me, because I don't know, and, you know, it's not, like, like, explained, it's not in stage notation, but for me, it feels like, that it's coming from a few different things, but I think there's those references and stories of mother and, um, in the film, we kind of see that. Um, and I just, I feel like put, it's like pulling everything out of himself. And it's all of these random things Mm -hmm. that have all been tied up and mushed into this thing, you know, and in angry inch, you know, they have these crazy references about female anatomy that are, you know, not real things. Tits of clay. And, um, you know, so it's, it's like he's, be- I think he's- it's also important to show it wasn't a full sex change operation. Right. Yeah. It definitely. wasn't implants. It wasn't, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier. This isn't a story of a person that yeah. felt like a woman and changed into a woman. It's a, it's a total mutilation mm-hmm. for love. It's how, it's how we all feel when you are in that situation because that that part was much more powerful for me in the film seeing that seeing him pull those out and like break them in front of you mm-hmm. whereas yeah. i couldn't if it did happen in the show i couldn't see that so that was that intimacy was much more powerful for for me to watch yeah this yeah and you know you, we spoke of taking off the wig earlier on tv but i know that you know even for the audience of the show initially that's still a, a very dramatic thing to see someone in drag I mean, you don't even see that you didn't really see that before in drag um shows and people have kind of done that more now so since this but that that dramatic moment of taking off that that exterior mm-hmm. and just well, being vulnerable i don't know like i feel like there's still people that don't realize that drag queens spend a large portion of their life as men and then put the drag on for certain moments. Like there's both, but I think that there's a large portion of people that still, they just think that this is, they dress up as a woman every day. Like we have a a host here that's a drag queen and I've only seen him once in his drag. Yeah. So 
it is this persona, it is this facade over top of who you really are. But I think it's also for Hedwig, it was like this thing that he was doing to please other people and mm-hmm. not necessarily please himself. Yeah, definitely. He definitely has, I think he like grew to like love aspects of the drag, like getting to dress up, getting to do certain things, but I don't think like it was true to who he actually was. Right. I think it's like that stage persona. It's yeah. that yeah. punk rock. Yeah, it's just like how if you're an actor, like for me, going on stage as a different character is easy and fun because I get to play somebody else, but it's not who I am. Right, right. You're doing that for a few hours. It's not It's, it's not you. my whole life. Yeah. So that's a whole thing because he had to spend his whole life as this other yeah. character. Yeah, it goes back to you know being forced into it and having to do it every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanna we do want to mention Stephen, Stephen Trask. Trask. I was just going to do it. Stephen yeah. Trask, because we were talking uh, last week. We had a comic that we didn't mention Stephen Trask. Um, he sang. He music. actually sang the songs for Tommy Gnosis. You got hate mail. <laughs> we got hate mail. Just a suggestion. We got a suggestion in the suggestion box. Um, <laughs> he actually sang. He was one of the band members. Uh, that's his band. That's plays the Angry and, Inch. Yeah, in the uh, original show and in the film. Yes, and uh, he's a composer for films, and he sang the role of Tommy Gnosis. That was not Michael Pitt singing. So. Um. And those for those of you that maybe don't know Stephen Trask... Um, oh, he, and he got a Grammy nom for that Yeah, movie. he did. And he got an OB award. Um, but he also wrote the score for the Dreamgirls movie in 2006. Uh, in the Land of Women, Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers. Like, he's done a lot. So any of these shows that... Or shows, movies that you've seen, like, the music scores, though, that's him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he wrote the music for this. It's a big, big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think primarily, I don't know if you touched on this before, but I think he's really kind of responsible for putting in the direction of the the show initially. Yes. Yeah. That John Cameron, he and John Cameron Mitchell were kind of, you know, want to create this one man show and I want to do, you know, want to sing. And, you know, so they got together and it was really John Cameron Mitchell telling the stories and and Stephen Trask saying that, that's, you know, where we need to go with this and how the character that we need to develop yeah so he's he, this show wouldn't be what it is today without him right. so he gets owed a lot of credit for that. Yeah, a definitely. lot of things that happen in the show um since we are getting down to the end on time i would want to get into our broadway news section because there was some fun tidbits that happened this week for me at least oh yeah and broadway con is closing this weekend so today if, today's the last day yeah so um you can go online and find the news on playbill just Typing Broadway Con and there's all kinds of stuff that comes That's up. Coming out, yeah. yeah. Um, the most favorite one for me this week was that Elton John's going to compose for Devil Wears Prada yes. The musical. Yes. Wow. Because I think Devil Wears Prada will make a brilliant musical. Uh, also, for fans of Aida, Elton John writes good musicals. Just saying. Yeah, he wrote Billy <laughs> Elliot. He wrote Billy Elliot. The music? No, oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Learn something new every day. <laughs> also, Lion the Lion King. King. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? Um, but I, I think this will make a great show if they do it right. I, I'm expecting a lot from certain points of it. Like, obviously, they have to great great costumes. Because you can't do a show about fashion and have subpar yeah, costumes. It has to be like a runway number. Yes. Yes. I, I need a breakdown number from um, the dragon lady. <laughs> I need her to have a breakdown number by herself and then put back on her facade. That's what I want. Um, but yeah, that's exciting, and there's not much news about it besides that he's going to write the music, but I'm excited for it to come out. I'm going to New York in t- next year, so maybe they'll Yay. be developing it by then. Um, also, Julie Taymor at BroadwayCon has said that she would like to make an Across the Universe musical. And she directed The Lion King. Yes. Yes. And I think Across the Universe would make a great musical, too. It'd be very trippy. <laughs> I think that it would play with your mind a lot with some of the... I think that they could use a projector in it like they do with Hedwig. I think that would She's work. brilliant. I yeah. love all of her visuals and what she does on mm-hmm. stage and in film. So I'm behind you, Julie. Make across the universe. We're all behind you. We're all behind you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and not so much theater, but still having to do with, with musicals. musicals. La La Land has now tied for most nominations for for the Oscars. Who had it? Titanic. Uh, it was. It's a three way tie for oh. nominations. It's uh, Titanic and All About Eve. Oh. All got 14 nominations. Um, 
but the for wins it's a tie between Titanic, Ben Hur, and the Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King, which have eleven. So, I don't know if it'll beat yeah. the wins or not. I'm not sure. I know people love this movie. I have a differing opinion I on it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but oh, you can also get tickets to Allegiance. Um, the George Takei filmed his musical Allegiance, and I think. In February, I bought tickets and now I can't even remember what date they are on, but they're all on the same date. It's like some day in February. Okay. And you can just go online and um, get movie tickets to see Allegiance. Um, and then La La Land, also, sorry, going back to Rufus, it, it broke the record. Sorry, I just have one more note for most Golden Globe wins, so it'll be interesting to see if it breaks the record for Oscar wins. It's up against some stiff competition, I have to say. A lot of great films this year. Yeah. There are a lot of good films this year. And I do love that we're making more mu- musical theater films because when you adapt a play, obviously, like Fences, Fences for me read like a play. Like when I was watching the movie, I was like, this sounds like a play. This doesn't sound like a movie. But um, you don't notice as much. But musicals, people always are like, oh, theater. They don't think film as I mean, much. Chicago won a lot of nominations. No, I know. But I'm just saying yeah. like, when you see a musical theater, like a musical film, you always think that about musical theater, Broadway plays. Stuff. Yeah. It always, I feel like, is harder to translate musicals than it is plays into film sometimes. But yeah. this obviously is a musical first, so I don't know if they'll it's try to do it. It's a movie first, yeah. I mean, yeah, sorry, movie. If they'll try to do a musical adaptation of I'm it. I'm sure they I'm will. I'm sure they yeah. will because of the success of it. Um, I don't know if LA... I mean, hey, they made a, a... Newsies was not a commercial success, and they still made a musical about it, so... It'll be interesting, though, because I know, like, you know, New York and LA, East Coast, West Coast, there's, like... That kind of rivalry, kind of thing of it. So introducing People still a play, like Rock of Ages, no, I know. you know. There's, but there's just, I just wonder if it's going to be the play, kind of like there's not gonna, the movie. There's going to be kind of the snobbiness of like, oh, that's an, a, a show about LA. Like if it gets translated into, I don't know about that because people really did like Rock of Ages, and that was a play entirely about Los Angeles. I think as long as you make it like heartwarming enough or interesting enough, you know, people people will see it. Yeah. So let's uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it, um, and if it wins, how many. Do you like how Rock of Ages is my frame of reference yes. for so many things? <laughs> we're also going to be so discussing Rock of Ages later. Um, we we're going to try to find some lovers of the film so that we're not just really negative about it when we talk about it. We've talked about our distaste oh for God. the film a I lot. I don't. I never saw the film. I didn't you don't either need to. because I like all I saw was the preview and then learned that they cut out all these roles and then and, and here's me hating on a film I've never saw, but. They cut out some of my favorite characters, and then this isn't about Rock of Ages, but... Yeah. You'll, be, you'll have I'll to stop watch. this rant you'll, right now. You'll have to watch it this year, though, so... I know. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how much more I hate the film that I haven't seen. Um, also, Jackie and I, if you guys live in L.A., are going to be in the L.A. area. We just saw a great um, play. It was a series of shorts called Beckett Five. A series um, of uh, shorts written by, by Samuel Beckett. Beckett. Yeah. And uh, it's playing Including at the... Including the famous Crab's Last Tape, which I, I really enjoyed. Um, but it's playing at the Odyssey Theater in West L.A., um, right off Sepulveda. So if you get a chance to go see it, you should definitely go see it. Um, it has some wonderful actors in it, and especially the last one that she was just talking about is amazing. So, um, yeah, go head over to the Odyssey Theater. A lot of interesting out. avant-garde work, and not the kind of avant-garde work where you're like, oh, God, no. It was, like, really thought-provoking. And it doesn't. And the, the more comedic pieces don't overstay their welcome, which was nice. Like, the, you know, they keep them in this kind of yeah. short frame. And we were, I mean, we had a very lively discussion about what the pieces were about after, so. And we'd also love to hear what you think, because we all had different interpretations. Yes. So it'd be great. It's the to beauty see. of theater. Everyone has a different <laughs> opinion. So it'd be great to see if you go see it to let us know what you thought or what you got out of it to see if it. I also want to mention right before we go, after this, I'm interviewing Dylan Brody, who uh, is a comedian, but he's doing a sort of uh, comedy monologue one man show, and that's what I'm going to be interviewing him about next. So if you want to stay tuned, stay tuned for that. And right before we do our sign ups, I know, uh, Jeffrey, you said you have. A play. A play coming You're up. You're going to be yeah, in a play in, in the OC. Um, yeah, in Santa Ana, this great Ooh. group that I work with in, in Santa Ana Theater Out. If you haven't checked them out before, check them out. Theaterout.com. They do fantastic things, um, primarily gay, lesbian, you know, LGBTQ community, playwrights and, and works. And uh, yeah, in March, beginning March 17th, a show called uh, Two Thirds Home, which is a great drama. Um, come check it out. Yeah, he was telling us a little about it before, and it sounds like 
really interesting. A lot. It does like, sound really interesting. I don't want to give too much away, but you can give him a little synopsis if you wanted to. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's about uh, these two brothers that come home to bury their mother who's just died, and they have to confront their mother's longtime wife lover that they have spent a lifetime Ignoring. avoiding, yeah. and uh, just you know, having to deal with getting rid of everything realizing that someone else loved their mother and um, having to deal with that. And, uh, yeah. It, but it's a beautiful piece. Come out and, and see it. There's no yeah. singing and dancing, though. You don't always need singing and no. dancing. Yeah. And I don't, I don't promise that I'll, you know, not wear a wig. <laughs> or but... makeup. Or maybe afterwards. <laughs> well, me and Jackie will definitely try to get out to go see yes. it. Yeah, that would be great. And we would yeah. love to see some of you guys there if you're in the area. Come up and say hi. Yeah. Um, so that's about it for our show for today. Next, Next week we're going to be doing I. The King and I, uh, the theater show. And it's touring at the moment. It's in Seattle. Oh my gosh, the tour is so good. So, and I don't like. I I don't. I didn't even start liking The King and I until I saw this tour. It's that good. Um, uh, so definitely come back next week to check that out. Where can they find you guys one last time before we leave? Um, if you want to take a look, Jeffrey Fargo on on uh, Instagram at Jeffrey Fargo. I'm one two three Jackie B on all platforms, and our Twitter is Broadway B Down. And you guys, and Facebook, can... we're on Facebook, Broadway Breakdown on Facebook. <laughs> and you guys can find <laughs> me at bvips14 on Twitter, Instagram, bvips1214 on Snapchat. And later tonight at 8 p.m. West Coast time, we will be discussing Crazy Ex Girlfriend here at AfterBuzz TV, which is our sister's network. So check that out, and we will see you all next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 